News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a landslide! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. A much more upbeat, happy edition of the final dump presented by Game On Wisconsin coming at you as we gear up for week three of the NFL season, week three of the Packers season. Green Bay now 1-1 one and one on the year after picking up an 18-point win over the Detroit Lions this past Monday night. Now heading into what seems to be, on paper at least, an absolutely massive game for multiple reasons, for confidence, for seeding, for the playoffs in general. We're going to break it all down for you right here on the final dump. Brendan Dworzynski and Matt Fralick here with you to talk all things Packers, getting you ready for game weekend. And Matt, after our or at the end of the show last week, I asked you directly, what would have to happen in the game against the Lions to make you feel comfortable about where the Packers are? And I don't know if I'm entirely comfortable with where the team is after two weeks. I think there's still plenty that needs to be worked out, but certainly feeling better at this juncture than we were this time last week. Yeah, and I think you know we'll trend towards having a little bit more comfort as the season grows old. A couple things happened this week that we'll get into that you know may not make you feel as comfortable, but I would say the first half didn't really put any you know anxiety or stress away for me at all um the second half definitely you and I talked in pre-production here just like some of the crazy throws the one to Adams the one to Tanyan and just like it felt like as the game wore on the Packers became more effective and relied on 33 to basically widen the margin but I think it's you know a good half of football let's kind of put it together here a little bit as we trend towards uh, Sunday Night Football Yeah, it's again going to be an absolutely massive matchup with the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday Night Football. We'll get you a full preview of the game, key matchups to watch, have some injury concerns to get to as well, specifically on that offensive line, which just continues to get battered. But let's start with some transaction news this week. Jay Sternberger's suspension to start the year officially ends midweek, and he is promptly waived by the team, and it did not take long for Jace to catch on elsewhere. He signed almost immediately after the news broke that he was waived. He was signing with the Seattle Seahawks. So you wish him on a personal level just the, the best of luck in the future with whatever he does, if he hooks on in Seattle or elsewhere. But I think this is not entirely surprising. It was smart to keep him around during the suspension because someone gets hurt or you decide, yes, we really do want him back in some kind of role, especially after Jaguara dealt with a concussion, not really sure what the hell situation is there. It feels like the Sternberger era, if you want to call it that, is just a missed opportunity for Green Bay. I think in multiple degrees because the athleticism is there and you could see it and you can see why he was arguably the best tight end in college football his final year, his only year at Texas A&M. And I wanted him to be good, too. I remember seeing him when he was a freshman in college. He first played at KU, the University of Kansas, for his career, and KU's absolute moron head coach, David Beatty, couldn't even get him on the field, but that's a story for a different podcast. And I was rooting for him because I thought, okay, well, this is an athletic tight end. He might be the kind of piece that can play in the middle of the field, be a matchup nightmare for opposing defenses, and it just never quite clicked. You know, the injuries were there. He didn't have a catch his whole rookie season. You hoped it would work, and it just didn't. So, Really, when you look at how well the rest of the tight end group has played, you've got Robert Tunyon, who has turned into one of the best tight ends in football. You've got Mercedes Lewis, one of the best blocking tight ends and a locker room leader extraordinaire. Dominique Daphne has 
turned out to be an incredible piece for this team, Mr. Do-Everything. And then you throw in some other help from DeGuara when he can actually get on the field. And really, for a guy who never quite put it together over a couple years, I don't feel like the Packers are really missing much other than missing on another third-round pick. No, and I think the thing with Jace, too, is they got him in the third round. That that tight end class was really, really loaded. And a lot of people said that if he would have came up the following year, he probably would have been the number one tight end taken in that class then, too, just because he was so top-heavy with Hawkinson and Noah Fan and Irv Smith. But really, like, the Jace Sternberger era for the Packers started on a bad note. People forget that, or maybe people don't forget, that Lonnie Johnson Jr. in their first inter-squad practice versus the Texans went over the middle, gave him the concussion, scuffle ensued. And that was literally Jace's first like news with the Green Bay Packers. There was really nothing else there. I think there was an opportunity for him to break through. You go back, Tanyan really hadn't, you know, emerged yet. He hadn't had a big game and he ended up doing so in that, you know, years or excuse me, games down the line in the regular season. So tough spot for Jace. Uh Andy Herman of Packaday Podcast, owner of Packaday Podcast, on the video format on YouTube today actually said they saved money by keeping him on the roster up until um Tuesday, which is notable, I guess. It makes it seem logical they'd keep him on for the financial purposes but also like you mentioned brendan like the insurance policy granted he's not going to come off this suspension you know early but if someone were to have been banged up deguara who was uh clearly it looks like he's coming back though healthy this week from practice that would give them another option but we i think everyone knew that 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 tight end room was a little bit clogged and even on you know if you look at dominic daphne on monday he played a lot of snaps i, I feel like i saw him out there a, a buttload and some of that's parlayed with the fact that Deguar was injured, Sternberger suspended, and you know Mercedes Lewis is more of a blocker. So de facto, it's like if you want an H back in there, obviously Tanyan's running routes. You're going to need Daphne in there in the backfield or you know offset of uh, of Tanyan's hip. So it's a bad situation for Jace. Kind of unfortunate, just the way the the cards shook out for him. Just off the field stuff, on the field stuff. Some of it wasn't even his his own fault with the Lonnie Johnson thing. So. It sucks to see him go. You never really got to see anything out of Jace that was all too great other than the fact that it seemed like when he was in there last year in the 2020 campaign, he was versatile enough to take over some of what uh, you would have liked to see Josiah DeGuara do. But now that he's healthy, Daphne's emerged. It's, there's really no spots for him anymore. So he signs the practice squad of the Seahawks, see what happens there with their tight end room. They just brought in a couple guys this offseason too, so I don't know if that's just a body. Um, but we'll see what happens with Jace. But other than that, um, he's gone, and now it makes it easier for the the final four guys to keep going through as long as they stay healthy. Yeah, and you make a good point that it really did come down to a numbers game. And when you've got two different guys in the last couple of years, two different Indiana State Sycamores who blow up and become as good as Tunyon and Daphne have become, you just don't need a player like that. I mean, everything they wanted Jace to be that they had Jace doing the last couple of years are things that Daphne is now doing and is doing more effectively. You're right. He's that H-back role. He can line up as a fullback. He can line up in the slot. He can block for you. I mean, he's really been an incredible revelation. I remember when they brought him up last year, I thought, okay, it's just a body. Don't think we're going to remember the name Dominique Daphne for all that long. And then, whoa, he's all of a sudden become an important cog in this offense. And that's sort of what one of the themes we've talked about throughout the duration of this show from the very beginning of training camp until now has been, Matt, finding these pieces to kind of elevate the team, take them to the next level. Well, you can now do all sorts of things out of the backfield when you're combining Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Kylan Hill, but then you throw in Daphne who can do stuff out of the backfield. Still probably going to see more Randall Cobb do some stuff out of the backfield. Maybe Amari Rogers gets chances to do that. You're going to be able to give so many different looks out of so many different personnel groupings. It's just a numbers game, and that sucks for Jace that he misses out on being a part of that, but 
part of it's his own doing, part of it's is not. You just wish him the best. I do want to say really quick, though, one of the things that is a pet peeve of mine on football or just sports, social media, Twitter is, oh, well, Terry McLaurin went one pick later. Packers could have had him. You have no idea if the Packers would have taken Terry McLaurin if Jay Sternberger had gone a pick earlier. Oh, well, Scary Terry is next on the list. Have absolutely no idea. And you can do that with every pick forever. I saw someone compare that today to, well, yeah, Washington took Dwayne Haskins in the first round. They could have had a player who was actually worth a damn. And every single team every year, you could say something like that. So, yeah, Terry McLaurin would be nice, but there's no guarantee it wouldn't have been some other wasted third round pick instead. Yeah, TJ Watt, I mean, should have been a Packer. Kevin King never yep. should have been picked. Um, to be honest, the whole entire NBA should have been flipped around because Michael Jordan should have been a Portland Trailblazer, too. So if you just want to play that game every day, it's just, it's just stupid. Like, it's just like that, like Monday morning quarterback, but like to the utmost degree, like it's just dumb. Like, it it sucks. I, I hate it. And yeah, there's value in every draft. Like, there's seventh rounders, there's undrafted guys that go undrafted and they're end up being studs in the league. It's just a stupid thing to play at. Those people suck. Let's get to the guys who are still on the roster, though. Jay Sternberger out. Plenty of guys still around who are going to make an impact, who have already made an impact this year. And the injury report a little bit bigger this week. One name really stands out. You know, Eric Stokes, who was so good against Detroit, he opens the week limited in practice. You hope that he is as close to 100% as you can get him for the game on Sunday because he showed so much potential in the win over Detroit. You've got some other guys who are banged up, just trying to get back to full strength. But the one who stands out the most and is going to make the biggest impact on this team is Biggie. It's Elgin Jenkins. And Matt LaFleur says on Wednesday when the injury report comes out that we're going to give him the entire week, let him rest up. We're going to wait until the last minute to make a decision on his status, which is good because you want to rule him out in case he is feeling better and might be able to go for the game, which would be tremendous. But I don't think there's any denying that, that already without David Bakhtiari, and you take out your next best and by far your most versatile lineman, this is not the matchup where you want to be missing guys like that. You know, Bakhtiari, that's essentially a sunk cost adjacent at this point because you just know you weren't going to have him for this game, so you have to kind of put that out of your mind. But to go up against even a banged-up defense like San Francisco has, possibly without Elgin Jenkins, is an extremely scary proposition. It's terrible, man. There's nothing worse. Like, Wednesdays, I... I'm kind of on pins and needles a little bit seeing what that injury report is because even like the week prior, like we kind of knew Zadarius Smith had that back injury, but then for him to go on IR, it's like, damn, it kind of throws your week off. And like, I don't think anyone saw the Elton Jenkins ankle injury coming and he didn't practice at all on Wednesday. And it's, it's concerning because like you mentioned, a, a, a tough, tough defense that is the San Francisco 49ers, Nick Bosa coming off two sacks. Like they got to go up against one of the best front sevens in football the last couple of years. And I know they're dealing with a couple of injuries. We'll get into that too. But I think it's just, it's tough, man, because we saw how week one looked and it was a little bit of rough on the offensive line. Week two looked, to be honest, a hell of a lot better. But now you're going to lose one of your, like you said, the most versatile guy on the line, maybe the, one of the most versatile guys the Packers even have on their whole damn team. And Elton Jenkins being gone, that sucks. That's a huge, huge blow. I don't know what the hell the offensive line looks like. Then you talked before we hit record, like if Billy Turner's your most veteran or your most seasoned guy out there, your best offensive line, even if you want to give him that, that's that's a rough position to be in. But 
Um, thus far, it looks like a lot of guys are coming back healthy. Um, nothing overly concerning. You know, DeGuara was a limited practice on Wednesday with a concussion. We'll see how they ease him back in there. Maybe he'll get into the role a little bit more um, in the tight end game, but uh, maybe they'll even need a tight end, to, you know, an extra tight end now to uh, you know to be active to be able to chip on that edge, whoever's coming off the edge for the the Niners. So tough spot to be in. I, I hate the Wednesday injury report, especially when it's kind of one of these injuries sneaks up on you. You make a good point about if someone has to come up and chip or do something different to try to help out the protection. And this is the kind of thing that changes an entire scheme. Even losing Bakhtiari, when you have a guy like Elton Jenkins, you can say, all right, you're going to play at guard and you're going to be one of the best in the NFL. Oh, we need you to move you to tackle. By the way, PFF thinks you're one of the best left tackles in the NFL after two games because you're just that good. Hey, we need you to play center this week. Well, he could come in and play center and have no problem with it. So you lose Bakhtiari, but you still have Jenkins. You think, okay, your best guy is still there. You've got enough depth. You can hang on for six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it might be. But you take out Big E, and it completely changes everything this offense is going to be able to do. I mean, this is, I would think, and I don't know for sure, and I would love to be proven wrong by this, but it feels as though you're going to lose an element of the vertical offense if you don't have the best protection unit out there. You're probably going to struggle to have longer developing plays because if Dennis Kelly has to play more and if Billy Turner is flipping over to left tackle and the guard situation inside is still in flux, you're not going to have time to set things up because, again, you've got Nick Bosa coming in at you if Eric Armstead is able to get healthy enough for San Francisco to play and he's rushing off the edge at you. That is a major concern. So it changes what this offense is going to look like. I would imagine it's going to include a whole hell of a lot more Aaron Jones, which it should, because if you saw Aaron Jones play against Detroit, you know exactly how explosive he can be, how dominant he can be when they actually feed him the ball. Something we talked about on last week's show, going from week one into week two. Hey, get your best playmakers the ball. Good things are going to happen. So you might have to see more of the screen game, more of the short pass game, quick outs, arrows, short digs, whatever it might end up being, just to try to get the ball out quickly, neutralize that pass rush when you don't have your best blockers out there. And ideally, Elton Jenkins is able to play. Even if he's at 80%, he's better than 80% of other offensive linemen in the NFL, so that's totally fine. But then you get into a situation, too, and I alluded to this earlier, you've got plenty of questions still, I think, on this offensive line. Even with Elton Jenkins playing, you have to figure out the guard situation. But without him, you would assume Billy Turner is probably going to move over, be your left tackle temporarily. That probably moves Dennis Kelly into being your right tackle. Or you leave Billy Turner where he is and you put Dennis Kelly in at left and take your chances with that. Josh Myers has been good at center so far, but then at the guard spots, you know, Royce Newman has had his his ups and downs so far. And John Runyon looked really good in week two. Lucas Patrick, we know what Lucas Patrick is at this point. So you've got to figure that out. You've got to keep it consistent. It just stinks for this offense that is has played one really, really good half of football and three halves that are or have not been especially good. You're trying to build that rhythm. You're trying to build that consistency by having an offensive line that may continue to be jumbled up week by week really doesn't help that process. Yeah, it's tough, man. And it's the the thing too, is like, I've noticed in the first two games that Rogers really hasn't been all too comfortable in the pocket. And I, I think that's generally the case with him. He sometimes, you know, fans alike will like myself will be yelling at the TV, throw the damn ball, throw the ball. He's taking sacks. He's, He's basically sometimes even taking a sack that really is more of a coverage sack that it ends up looking like it's on the offensive lines part. So 
they'll have to get creative this week. I think any deep shots downfield are probably far and few between, unless it's maybe like a rollout situation or have a moving pocket, um, which could work into Aaron's favor. You know, instead of him sitting in the pocket, a little five step drop, he's, you know, they're, they're shifting the pocket, getting them outside, maybe slinging something deep to MVS, Devontae, whoever the case may be. But I think, yeah, it's, it, they're going to have to get creative with the offense this week because you got a lot of guys that can get after you. You got a tough, tough spot for this offensive line now that is losing another body that they need. And it's you got to get the ball in the playmakers' hands, even, you know, to make this a ball game. We mentioned earlier, I think you specifically mentioned earlier, Matt, that this San Francisco team is kind of banged up as well. They've got some injuries. Their backfield issues have been widely publicized. They lose Raheem Mostert for the year, which I mean, you feel bad for him. Obviously, he has killed Green Bay over and over and over through his short career, but you feel bad for a dude who's just always injured. They've got some other guys in that group, too, who have been banged up. Uh, Jermichael Hasty, he didn't practice to start off the week. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, he didn't practice to start the week. I know if you're a fantasy football player, he was a big name this past week after he really rocked things in week one's win for San Francisco over Detroit. So you've got some injuries offensively for San Francisco. They've also got some personnel issues with Brandon Ayuk not even being active for games at this point. He's clearly in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. But on the defensive side, too, their secondary is banged up. They've got some issues on the defensive line. I briefly alluded to the injury for Eric Armstead, who has played both games so far this year, but has been minimally effective based on his pedigree. Do any of those stand out to you as a weakness, whether these guys play or don't play a weakness or possibly an area where Green Bay could exploit San Francisco in this game? I would love to say the running back room, but it really doesn't matter who the hell Kyle Shanahan is in that offense. Like, I think they just signed Chris Thompson to, on Wednesday, too. Like, it's just crazy. Like, they can throw anyone in there. It really doesn't matter. And Raheem Mostert goes down. All of a sudden, you plug and play Elijah Mitchell, and he's doing some stuff. You know, Hasty, when he was in there, he had a couple good games in, or for, for week one. I think he got a touchdown. But Trey Sermon got the concussion now. It's like, they. it doesn't really matter. Like, I think their number one guy at this point is it Trenton Cannon? Is that is that who they're looking at? Like Jaquiz Patrick? Like I don't even know who the hell's gonna be in there, but I don't think it matters because they're just such a good offensive line. They have a you know the good skill set with all those you know all those uh, perimeter guys do like Debo Samuel. Obviously, uh, George Kittle can block really really damn well too. So it's that doesn't really concern me all that too. I mean that I wish it was an opportunity, I guess, for the Packers. Where I don't think it really is in the run game. I think whoever they can plug and play in there is fine. I think if Eric Armstead's limited, that helps because I know they have a really, really solid front seven. If they're missing a guy like that, that's that's big. A couple of guys in the secondary, but they're limited in practice. I mean, Josh Norman, Emmanuel Mosley, but no one else that really gives me too much concern. I would possibly if, you know, it looks like Kinlaw's even was limited on Wednesday with a knee injury too. So I think the big one for me is Armstead just because he he's an absolute savage. He's a monster. He, like you said, he hasn't been too productive in the first two games. He's got some snaps in there. But if they can maybe find a way to, if they don't have to focus entirely, you know, if they can spread all their focus, I should say, on Nick Bosa, if they don't have to deal with a, a guy like Eric Armstead or maybe even Linval, um, that's a little bit, or excuse me, Kinlaw, that's banged up. So that would be nice. They can, like we, I said earlier, they can, might be able to chip on Bosa, get him moving around a little bit. With the screen game, that could help. So I'm hoping maybe the, the front seven would cause some issues. But I like I said, I don't think it matters who the hell the running back is because what Kyle Shanahan's offense is, is just so dynamic. They can plug and play guys all the time, and it's I don't think it really matters. It could be Chris Thompson who just signed up the street this week, and he could probably get 70 yards and a touchdown. And that notion should be terrifying for Joe Barry. I know he's probably got too much energy to really be worried about 
being scared about the running attack, but not exactly the matchup I'm most excited for. Because you're right, that, that scheme, and that goes back to Mike Shanahan in Denver when any old dude could walk in. Tatum Bell, I believe it was, ran for a thousand yards. Ruben Drones, Ruben Drones, great, great, running name. for tons of yardage. I mean, anyone could put up numbers in that system. And that's continuing with Kyle now and really has been proven over the last couple of years. I mean, hell, Raheem Mostert was that guy in the very recent past. He was an undrafted guy out of Purdue who just showed up and, oh yeah, this dude is a super fast sprinter, has great moves. By the way, he's the perfect fit for this system. I mean, they just plug and play anyone. So I'm with you. That's it's the scheme more than the guys that you're worried about there. And you know, you're not going to lose that scheme as long as Kyle Shanahan is there on the sideline calling plays. So that's always a concern. I think the thing the Packers could exploit on there with you is if there are some injuries or any amount of slowdown on that defensive line for San Francisco. And you look at Nick Bosa, who obviously is a superstar. He's one of the best edge players in the NFL. And there's only so much you can do to slow him down, especially when you don't have Bakhtiari and when the status of Jenkins is up in the air. Javon Kinlaw, really good young player. He's a little dinged up. Eric Armstead, a little dinged up. If even one of those guys can't play, you're feeling better. If both are limited, if if San Francisco, for example, has to give more snaps to D Ford over Eric Armstead because of injuries, that is a huge win. That is a big time win. D Ford is just, he's a jag. He's just a guy. He's nothing more than that. He's never really been more than that, save for about 10 weeks his last season in Kansas City. If you have to see a guy like that come in and rush, you're feeling way more confident, even if it's Billy Turner who has to pick a bigger role at left tackle, or if it's Dennis Kelly who has to see a majority of the snaps in the game. So I think that is the group two that really you could exploit. The secondary injuries, you mentioned the ones to Emmanuel Mosby and Josh Norman. I maybe blindly, and maybe I only say blindly because of how tough it was for the Packers to separate from defensive backs in the week one loss to New Orleans, but I trust that Devontae Adams can make something happen. I trust that Robert Tunyon is going to find a way to somehow get open. Same with either MVS or Alan Lazard will do something offensively, or you factor in the running backs and the tight ends more. You get Aaron Jones to catch 10 passes in the game. You throw a few to AJ Dillon, Dominique Daphne gets five targets or whatever. So I'm not quite as worried or quite as interested, I guess, in their injuries there. Obviously that would help the Packers, but I'm right there with you. I think if that defensive line for San Francisco is at full strength, it's one of the best in the NFL and it could really make things hellacious for the Packers offensive line, interior and exterior. But man, if they're slowed down, I don't think you could have a bigger break for the Packers, considering what you're dealing with, with young players in flux on the interior and questions at tackle because of all the injuries. Shots fired at D forward too. That's, that's interesting. I feel so, like he's gotten buried in their depth chart a little bit too, but I feel like, yeah, ever since he came over from Kansas city, like he hasn't been as dynamic as people would have expected. Maybe it's because he's not enough snaps. I, I don't know what the deal is, but I think there's something to be said about that. I won't disagree fully. I was, Living in Kansas, I was in school when he was drafted, and I remember sitting in my dorm watching the TV and thinking, what? And then I asked my Chiefs fan friends who lived on the floor, and they said, yeah, I don't really get that one. And then he spent three years with everyone ragging on him, and then he puts up a contract year in whatever season that was, 2018, that would have been. And everyone said, okay, there's no way that this is legitimate because he's never been good for us. He's always hurt and he's never shown anything until money was on the line. Then he gets traded and he really hasn't produced at all. And he's continued to get hurt in San Francisco. So I would much rather if I'm 
Big E or if I'm Billy Turner or Dennis Kelly or Yash Nijman or whoever, I don't care who's out there at tackle. I would feel much more comfortable having to defend him than having to defend any amount of Eric Armstead. That's fair. Big matchup coming up. Let's get to some of the other big matchups to keep an eye on here. I think for the Packers offensively, there's a lot to be intrigued about with what we saw in the second half. And I think intrigues the word I'm using because there was a lot of good Aaron Rodgers who is not mobile at all anymore, apparently, because uh, he had the quip after the game about how he really was feeling old because he was watching Jared Goff run read options from the other sideline. But he was cooking in the second half, had some incredible throws on the same drive, the 50-yarder to Adams. I think it was 48 yards in the air on that one, just a tremendous rainbow deep throw, had the unbelievable pass to Big Bob for the touchdown. He looked fine. Tony obviously looked fine. Devontae was his normal self. Aaron Jones was tremendous. And I still think you could say, you know, you're looking for more out of Alan Lazard because he's pretty much been a no-show in terms of production and counting stats through the first two weeks. MVS wasn't able to do anything in week two. Now, granted, that's also because Aaron Rodgers couldn't hit him. He kept overthrowing the fastest guy on the team deep down the field and then a couple bad ones in the end zone as well, one of which was wiped away because of a phantom pass interference call. But hey, we'll take it. So I think there's still a lot you could ask for this group. And even outside of the offensive line versus defensive line matchup, I think this is a big test for the Packers. Can you be competitive offensively for a full 60 minutes? Because we haven't seen that yet. And I think that's going to take getting more than just two guys involved in the offense. Yeah, I do too. And it, it does take a while for these pa- for pa- the Packers to get up to a full game of 60 minutes. I feel like I remember last year doing some podcasts and just talking to some friends. It's like, I feel like it takes a, just took a long, long time for me to feel at least completely satisfied that they put the best 60 minutes out there as possible. And generally, that's not going to happen in the first couple of weeks, especially with Dave Yari banged up with one of your best defenders out there, you know, gone with Darius Smith. So I think it's a great matchup for them. There's a couple matchups I like on, on paper here the, that are going to be on the defensive side of the ball for the Niners. Packers are going to have to go up against them. And I think even vice versa, it's going to be it's going to be fun to look at. All right, what's the prediction for this week? The initial look I had, and I will, I'll will i let this dictate my pick, I guess, I think a little bit. The Packers opened up as a four-point underdog in this game, going on the road, Sunday night football, playing the 49ers has been a house of horrors in recent seasons, save for last year when they were completely destroyed by injury and the Packers took care of business against them on Thursday night football. What are you thinking in this one? What's your score prediction? What do you think is going to be the difference maker in this contest for either side? Is it wrong if I predict the Niners win? Is that is that inappropriate? I think that's where I'm leading too. I know. I think I am too, unfortunately. I'm going to say 27-24 Niners. Um, I just... It's so tough to pick against the Packers. I did a preview show last year, and I think I predicted their record exactly the right. I might have had one of the losses flip-flop that they won one and lost one um, the opposite side. And you got to kind of go into it unbiasedly. And I just, I don't, I don't like Elton being banged up. I don't like Bakhtiari not being out there. The Packers have shown they can't stop the run very damn well. The Niners know how to exploit that. And outside of last year, like you mentioned, when they went up against the Niners, the Niners were very, very injured last year. I want to say they're one of the most injured teams last year. And they got a lot of these dudes back. One of the matchups I'm really fascinated by is Fred Warner v. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron's got a ton of respect for Fred Warner, and I think he's always a, a dynamic player for the Niners, gets his guys into a different position. doesn't really matter who's in front of them there. I, I think I go 27-24 Niners, and I can't remember the last time I predicted a, a Packers loss 
where I just don't I I mean I'd be I don't say I want to be surprised if they would win that being the Packers I think there's an opportunity there I think they can exploit a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo maybe they can exploit going up against the fourth or fifth best running back for the Niners on their depth chart but I'm gonna run with them right now just because I think their defense is so solid I think the Packers haven't looked all that great outside of you know Aaron Jones in week two it's early they could definitely prove us wrong Brendan but it sounds like you're trending the same direction but I'll go 27 24 Niners unfortunately I'm glad you bring up Jimmy Garoppolo because I think that's one of the X factors in this game, not because it is Jimmy G, shout out to Rolling Meadows High School in Arlington Heights, but I think it comes down to the fact that if San Francisco gets its wish in this game, Jimmy throws it, what, 12 times? You'll just run the ball. You'll get that zone running scheme going. You'll give it to maybe Jermichael Hasty, maybe Elijah Mitchell, maybe Chris Thompson or, you know, maybe Icky Woods is somewhere. He's looking for a job still 30 years after his prime, and they're going to bring him in. I mean, it could be anyone. Like you said, anybody could come in. Maybe Ruben Drones is going to get a call. Maybe Kyle can get his (laughs) number from Mike and bring him in and see what he's up to these days. Anyone could put up numbers. So if San Francisco gets the kind of game it wants, you're just going to give the ball to your running back, whoever that is, and run constantly. So that puts you in a situation if you're the Green Bay defense do you just do everything to stop the run? Do you sell out for the run for 60 minutes of game time and say, if Jimmy Garoppolo can beat us with his arm, then tip of the hat, more power to him. That's how we're going to lose. That seems risky in a pass-heavy league to say, all right, let the other quarterback beat us. That seems like a risk, but also Jimmy Garoppolo is somewhat limited as a quarterback. He wins a lot of games, but he's not in Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady kind of passer. He's just not that guy. So the defensive matchup, I think, is going to be difficult because you know San Francisco is going to get theirs on the ground. And if you're putting your corners or your safeties or whomever on islands throughout the game, that could end up coming back to bite you. Who knows what Trey Lance is going to do? The San Francisco team can just do so many different things offensively to try to mess with you. And you mentioned George Kittle earlier. We haven't even talked about one of the top two tight ends in the NFL and all the things he can do for them. Even if he's not catching the ball, there's so many things he does for that offense. I think I'm leaning... San Francisco 28, Green Bay 21. I think San Francisco is going to shorten this game a lot because they're going to keep it on the ground so much. And if you're churning out five, six yards of carry, well, it's not going to take very long for this game's final game clock to expire. You know, this game's going to only take two and a half hours and Green Bay is only going to touch the ball so many times. So I don't want to do that. I I truly cannot remember the last time I picked against the Packers. It probably would have been in 2017 when Brett Hundley was quarterbacking, even in 2018, which was a mess of the season. I still picked the Packers to win every single game because I kept thinking, no, McCarthy will figure it out. Okay, well, Joe Philbin will figure it out. Well, Rodgers will just power him to a win. Well, that didn't really happen all that often, obviously, because they ended up picking in the top 15 in the draft. So I'm going to go San Francisco. I would love to be wrong about this. I think there is a path for Green Bay to win. I'm not going to say this is a blowout. This isn't like the reverse of the confidence I had in week one where I said, oh, no way the Saints can win. Obviously, I was wrong there. I'd be happy to be wrong here. I'll say 28-21. That's fair. And you you mentioned Sona on the run. That could be in the cards for Joe Barry. I think it'd be, if you have to do that, you're going to be in a tough, tough game with George Kittle one-on-one and Debo Samuel also running around. He's having a good year to start. Um, that could be with the lack of Brandon Ayuk there, but Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and then another X Factor, Kyle Juszczyk is just not that he's, you know, all that. I mean, he's, he's pretty dynamic as far as a fullback. He's probably one of the better ones in the league, but 
I'm not too concerned with him out of the backfield or running the ball, but it's it's that that power run game where he can get out and basically chip two guys and George Kittle's out there running down with a head full of steam, you know, barreling down on Kevin King or something like that. It's it could be a bad situation if they're if they fully sell out on the run game, but they might have to do that from time to time. But hopefully those injuries at, at the running back position will limit them and they'll have to rely on Jimmy G's arm. He threw it 30 times next week. That seems like a hell of a lot for a, a Jimmy G stat. Um, some of that has to do maybe with the run game that they've you know lacked a couple guys and a couple injuries. So maybe that would be the, the path, like you're saying, um, for the Packers to get a W. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping we're both wrong. Hopefully Packers come away with what would undoubtedly be a massive statement win. We should also probably acknowledge San Francisco has had two wins that haven't been extremely impressive. They put up a ton of points in week one and then let Detroit come right back into the game and came within an onside kick of tying that game and sending it to overtime. They win 17 to 11, a six point win over the Eagles, who I'm still not convinced are very good uh, in week two. So they've got some questions. Packers have some questions. I don't love Green Bay's matchup. So I'm hoping maybe we get some uh, reverse psychology action here and the Packers still come away with a win. If we're wrong, feel free to at least flame me. I don't want to speak for Matt. You can flame me on Twitter all you want, and I will happily take that. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore FRA underscore. I'm on Twitter as well at Brendan DZW. Matt, it will hopefully be a fun Sunday night. I know I'm going to be nervous and feel like I need to throw up for the entirety of Sunday up until the game, but hopefully Packers come away with this one with what would be one of the biggest wins across the NFL in this early part of the season. Definitely. Yeah. And I love the smoke. If people want to come at me saying, predicting that the Packers are losing, please, please at me, DM me, whatever you got to do. That's just kind of how I'm looking here. It'll be a big win. I think this is, you know, the first two weeks of the season, Lions, Saints, I expected the games to go a little bit differently. I knew this was going to be the start of a, a tough stretch for the Packers, so I hope they can get on a good foot. Um, after this, they'll start actually getting into some regular, you know, Sunday games and you know day games, and which will be a lot nicer for them to get kind of back in that routine. Because it's been a little sporadic here in the last, um, I guess, two weeks now. Once this game's finished on Sunday night, but yeah, it'd be it'd be great to come out uh, two and one to come back home and play the Steelers, but. One and two is all not that, you know, not terrible, but then you still got to play the Steelers, who I don't think are an awful football team. I think Mike Tomlin's one of the best coaches in the league, so he can get that team ready at any point. And they got some playmakers that have to go up against, but we'll talk about that next week. So hopefully we're talking about it when they're two and one, and um, we'll see what happens as we trend towards Sunday. Hopefully Elton Jenkins plays because that's going to be a huge factor, too. Win, lose, or God forbid, draw. We will be here with you coming up next Friday to preview that game against the Steelers. We'll talk all about another week in news right here on The Final Dump, brought to you by Game on Wisconsin. Well, Wayne, I think this is one that Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would be proud of. You could just give me a touchdown. That is hard to overturn, you know what I mean? I understand That was a good effort, though, wasn't it? Pretty good effort.